Good morning. Um, I don't know that we've done it yet. I was, I think I was paying attention, but if you're, uh, if you're joining us online via live stream uh, because you're a member of this church and or an attender here and you just happen to be somewhere else or you're sick, we're glad we have the tech to, to join for you to join us. Uh, if you're just checking us out and you're semi-local, we'd love to have you join us in person anytime. There, I think I've been here, been here almost six years and there's only been one Sunday where we had to cancel and it was because of a severe ice storm. So any Sunday, we're here every Wednesday. We're here. We'd love to have you join us. Um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 42 today, and, but I got to give you just a little bit of background and I've got a cool graphic. Uh, I didn't create it because I'm not good at that stuff. I uh, used to be, but you know, this, the whole animating things I'm not great at, but um, just to give us a picture, kind of an idea of modern day, you know, what our world like, looks like today and where these events took place. So we'll get to that in just a second. But um, we ended last week's message with Joseph's kind of rise to power. God gave him the ability to interpret dreams for Pharaoh. Uh, this, by the way, this is all around the 1700 BC mark, okay? Um, and we didn't talk about the famine that had kicked in. We did talk a little bit about Joseph uh, and, and how he named his children things that reminded him, one, that God has allowed me to forget my father's household and my family after 13 years of uh, slavery and then imprisonment. Um, and another, another kid was that God allowed me to be uh, fruitful even in the land of my suffering. So we were really talking about Joseph seeing that 13 years. He doesn't look at it and go, oh, it was, it was worth it. He looks at it and says, even though I went through that, God is still faithful. But rest assured that uh, Joseph traveled around Egypt and uh, collected, during the seven years of plenty, he collected grain, um, 20%, uh, from every, everywhere in the known world. And he was an architect, actually. I mean, that's not what his training was, but he ended up creating these huge bats or these huge, let's put it to you this way, there's archaeological evidence um, uh, around one particular pyramid, which is where we believe his pharaoh was. It was the first of the step pyramids. Um, but it, it, they found these things. They dug them up. They found grain in them. And just so you know how big these things are, there's eight or ten of them. They all have these chutes that feed into one. So everyone could come in a single file. They could pay for the grain. And then they walk down the stairs. They get their grain. And then they walk out the bottom and they go back home. But if you take this room and you double the height, and, you, and this whole floor is level from this level all the way back, there are six to eight of these rooms, double the height, full. Uh, they would have been full of grain over those seven years all around Egypt. So that as Joseph is, is, is on the Pharaoh's authority and in the Pharaoh's chariot, when the Pharaoh's ring and with his, he, he's second only to Pharaoh in all of the land. There's archaeological evidence that we're finding these huge storage places for grain. And I want you to know too, that more and more, that I, when I read in the last chapter that the famine was across all of the earth, my head goes to, well, it's the known world. You know, it's Egypt, it's the Middle East, it might be into Europe a little bit, it might ease into Asia a little bit, uh, at least Eastern Europe. And in my head, I kind of read that and I go, well, that's the only world that they knew. There is more and more archaeological evidence, I'm not going to read you all of it, but that that famine in about 1700 BC, now that's, that, that's a marker, I mean there's seven years of it, right? But we find evidence of famine 
in Africa. In fact, we hear when that's where Egypt is, but we hear of a, there's one ruling woman who in her tomb, they had uh, whatever, however they wrote, I don't know if it was on papyrus or cuneiform or what, but she wrote from Yemen that she sent her son to Joseph by name to buy grain during the famine. So we, we know it's in Africa. We find evidence in Europe. We find evidence in Asia all the way to China. We find evidence in North America, even in the indigenous peoples of this continent. And we find evidence in South America that there was a famine around 1700 BC. How do they know? Well, they see that this people group invaded this people group because they, their writings or their community, you know, however they communicated, that they were out of resources. And so they were coming to steal the resources of others. So worldwide, we have no evidence in Australia. I'm confident more and more as archeology span begins to point toward the truth of what scripture tells us. I'm confident that if they do excavations in Australia, that whoever the indigenous peoples there were, they will find evidence that there was a famine there as well. So I want you to know that, that that was a worldwide famine and for seven years. Now we know that when we get to Joseph and his brothers coming from Canaan, which is modern day Israel, to Egypt, it's probably just south of Cairo, but the numbers I'm going to give you are from, from the Jerusalem area to Cairo. Um, we, we know that, I just lost my train right there. Huh? It's a long trip and I'll get to that part in a second, but... But we know when they traveled, it was about three years into the famine state. That's where I was. Because the first year of famine, you're like, oh man, bum year. But you always save up grain from last year's harvest to plant for next year. So they take those and they plant. And maybe they have a harvest. Maybe they don't. But the second year, you're like, oh. You know, the first, first year is you plant and you get no harvest. You start to panic. Second year, okay, you'll scrounge it together. You kill some animals, you eat only meat. Third year, animals are dying, you're dying, you get desperate. So the third year of famine is when we believe that Joseph's brothers travel to see him. And that means that it's 23 years after Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. 13 years in, in, in slavery and then in prison. Seven years of famine when he's second only to, to Pharaoh. And another three years into the famine until his brothers come for the first trip to Egypt. Now, from Canaan here, let's bring up, that, bring up the animation for me. Um, we're going to do a little Google Earth thing here. I'm sure they love it that churches are using their product. Um, that's us. And just so you see where we are in the world, I didn't really plan on how to fill in this time right here where we're going to zoom across the world. So there's Michigan. By the way, Wisconsin thinks that they're the mitten state, but they're wrong. And then we're going to zoom over. We're going to zoom in a little bit on on, uh, Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. So you just have an idea where we are. Okay, you see where it says Israel? West Bank, in between the West Bank, the red and the red, that's about where where Jerusalem is. And then you come in over here to Egypt and you follow down. That's the Nile River coming right down the center, just left of the center of the screen. And you see Cairo. I don't know if you can see it, but at the top of the river, there's a city. We believe it's a little bit further south than that. But just so that you're aware of, of how long it took them. Remember when we talked about Joseph's brothers, uh, that, that, that Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers and they were tending the sheep near Shechem. And then from Shechem on to Dothan. And, uh, and I mentioned to you that it's about a three to five day trip if, if Joseph travels nonstop to Shechem. And it's another, you know, if it's three to five there, it's another day or two to Dothan. Um, that'll come into play here at the end of the story. 
But when the brothers, which we're going to read about now, the 10 of the brothers, there are 12 total, Joseph, Benjamin, and then the other, the other 10, they make a trip to try to buy grain in Egypt. That's at the absolute loose Jerusalem to Cairo, that's about 325 miles. Now, if, that's a, if you walk in a typical man, if he's not uh, race walking, walks the leisurely pace, if you're traveling all day, let's say they're traveling 16 hours a day, which I think is generous, they travel about three miles an hour because they're not all riding donkeys. So you got 10 of them plus whatever service they bring along. That's 108 hours of travel. That means the travel days were 6.7 to 7 point whatever days of travel each way. So we know that his brothers traveled from Canaan to Egypt. We'll find out today that he sends them back. Then they come back again and then they go back again and then they come back again. That's seven days each way minimum, probably closer, probably closer to 10 days every time. So that you have a picture of where we were, in the, where, where, where the world looks like today, it's the same as it was then. So this trip that they have to make is about like us going from here, Louisville, walking. I know that Nashville's 555 miles away from Holland, Michigan. Louisville, further north. So I'm guessing it's about that. It's about a six to eight hour drive. It's a ten, seven to 10 day walk. Here's the story. When Jacob, that's Joseph's dad, he's also called Israel in this passage, same man. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. It's pretty desperate. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob, that's the dad, did not send Benjamin. That's Joseph's other, his only other brother of the same mom. He did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. I don't know if this means that Jacob has suspicion about what the brothers did to Joseph. We don't have any indication of that. But he's not going to leave that final, he's not going to lose that final son of that one wife. And how many wives he had is a discussion for another sermon. I just want to acknowledge that I know that that's there. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, uh, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. I think I skipped. No, I got it. Uh, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all his people, or to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he, presented, he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? Now, I want you to remember Joseph's dreams back when he was 17 years old, the ones that got him in trouble. He'd already kind of tattled on his brothers, right? And then God gave him these two dreams. And it says that the moon and the stars, it says that the seven, you know, the, all, the, all the sheaves of grain will bow down. Keep in mind that this isn't a fulfillment yet, but it is an indication that God is at work. There's 10 of them, not 11 and then mom and dad. Um, there's 10. But they actually bow down before him. God made a promise through a dream. I don't know if Joseph has always thought of this dream. I know that he has had some interpretation of dreams. But I'm guessing because he tells us in the previous chapter that God has allowed me to forget my house, the household of my father and where I came from. And he's made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. That it's not on Joseph's mind all the time that when is God going to fulfill this promise of the dreams that he gave me. But here they, and he sees him, he recognizes him, and he's not nice, nor would you be. 
if they were going to kill you, and then they said, no, 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 we're just kidding. We're not going to kill you. Slave. And they profited from selling their, their brother. Where are you from? From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And keep in mind that he's full-blown Egyptian at this point. Remember when, when he came up, it said that before he came to Pharaoh out of the, out of the prison cell, he shaved and he got new robes. I mean, think back to Cleopatra and to Julius Caesar, you know, those, all those old things. But the whole Egyptian thing, all the makeup, all the funny hats and the, and the richly ornamented robes again. They haven't seen him in 23 years. He recognizes them in part because they come from Canaan. And it's not like if I say to you, hey, uh, oh, you're from Indiana? Yeah, I know someone from Indiana. Do you know him? It's not like that. I mean, yes, uh, Israel, or Jacob's, uh, Jacob's family had grown large. Their household, their, their descendants, it had grown large. Maybe a couple hundred thousand people. But if you're Hebrew, somehow, some way, Joseph's going to know someone who you know that knows his dad. It's that close-knit. It's all clan, clansmanship and pro- tribalism. So Joseph hears Hebrew, recognizes them. They have no idea who he is. And I just removed my finger, so now i got to remember where I was. They didn't recognize him. Then, then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you're spies. You've come to, to see where our land is, is, is unprotected. No, my Lord. Imagine being in their spot. They travel, they're going to die. They travel all this way. Dad gives them some money and they're going to get some food and they're going to bring it back and hopefully survive this famine because they don't know how long it's going to last. They're three years in. And if, if they buy some food right now and they go back to Canaan and there's another four years of famine, they're going to die. They're desperate. And then they show up and all the other people, when they come, they're like, yep, here's some, here's some money, here's some grain. And they get, you're spies, you're come to see how we're unprotected. No, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. Now, how do you think that sounded to Joseph? His brothers are honest men. First, they were going to kill him because he's got the nice robe. He's daddy's favorite. Then they sell him into slavery, but they go back and they tell their dad what? Now, he he doesn't know what they told him, but he does know that honesty is not high up on their list of character traits. No, you've come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you're spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested and see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you're spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. Now, I want, I want to pause there for a second. There's some irony here, or what comes around goes around, or payback, you know the colloquialism. He recognizes them. They claim to be honest. When, they had gone to, when he had gone to Shechem and found out that they were in Dothan, when he had that chance encounter, that providential encounter, um, it, he traveled three to five days. And by donkey, if, they did, if those merchants did nothing else to get to, 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 to Cairo, it is likely that he was in the back of that prison wagon for about three days. So where does he put his brothers? In prison, in a cage. For how long? Three days. 
He's not stupid. He's going to make them pay. But you'll see that he's making them pay. He's testing them. He wants to know, just as God has been developing Joseph's character over the last 23 years, are you going to persevere even when circumstances say that you shouldn't? Are you going to trust in the God who gave you those dreams when you were 17 years old, even though you've suffered, even though you've been a slave, even though you've been in prison, even though you've done good for others, but they were not repaid? Now that you've been lifted up, now that you have power and authority and dominion, are you going to trust the character, is your character trustworthy? That's what God's been doing through Joseph's life from, from, from 17, 23 years later. Joseph is finding out if his brother's character has changed. Are they trustworthy? Have they been redeemed? Have they been sorrowful? Have they, ha, will they confess what they've done, whether they know it's him or not? Because they're desperate. If they find out it's him, they're gonna, of course they're gonna confess, oh, we're so sorry we wronged you, give us food. So he's testing them. But he's not testing him without mercy. You'll see he lets him stew in it for a couple of days, for three days. And then look at what he does. He kind of, instead of send one, I'll keep the rest. He changes it. He changes what he's going to do. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live. For I fear, I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back to your, to, to your starving household. So here's Joseph, no matter what they've done, he still has compassion on his family of upbringing. And he's, gonna, he's saying, I'm going to hold on to one because I'm not sure about you. But he's sending food. He's sending food back with him, giving them provisions for their trip and to make sure that his family is taken care of. While the rest of you go and take grain back to your, to your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. And then Reuben, the oldest, the one who defended Joseph earlier, Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Passing the buck a little bit, but nevertheless, now we must have given accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He still knows Hebrew. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Now, I don't know what weeping does to Egyptian makeup. I don't know. But I do know that every parent in the room has been in, a, in the complete opposite situation as this. Here's this man who recognizes his brothers and, and, he, and, he, and he knows that they're not trustworthy people. They were willing to sell their own flesh and blood because dad liked them most. And then in the midst of that, when they start realizing that they're going to be in prison, they might lose a brother. They, they're not trusted. They're accused of being spies. They're going to have to go back home and bring back their young one. Um, it's, it, that, and then they say, this is, God is doing this to us. We have to account for the bloodletting of our brother. Imagine if you're Joseph, you go, oh, they do know. They do remember. They do care. So he turns around and weeps, but he has to, he has to suck it up a little bit and turn back and still be the same kind of hard person that he was. Parents, you've had the exact opposite experience. I know with me, when Cam was young, he, he was in a crib because he, he could walk, but he was still in the crib because he liked to get out of bed and we didn't want him out. And there was one day when I put him to bed and, 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 and came up 
And I had these big um, down slippers. I mean, big, it's embarrassing. Some people have seen them. They are, um, when, pe- when people walk in my house and I have them on, I still have them, like duct tape all over them, but people go, oh, I mean, my feet get cold. These are awesome. But because they're huge, they make a little scuffing sound on the carpet. And I remember walking up one day, I, I heard Cam, and this is when we lived on, in uh, James Wood Estates, I heard Cam upstairs and he was supposed to be in bed quite a while ago. And I walk up and, and he was pretty good about knowing when dad's coming up there, but he, I, I tried to be quiet. And when I went to grab the door, he must've heard something because when I opened the door, this is what I saw. He's leaping from the dresser back into the crib, turning in the air, landing like this. Now, what do you have to do, dads? You know better than that. If you don't get to sleep, you're going to, get, you're going to be crabby tomorrow. You're going to ruin your mom's day, right? Blame it on mom. But as soon as I got done correcting him, and he's still pretending to, to sleep, even with a little cute little snore thing, I turn around. I'm laughing like crazy. You know, so I'm stern here, turn around and laugh. Joseph's heart is broken. He turns around and weeps, but he has to muster up and turn back and still give them what for. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to put each man's silver back in the sack. They don't know about that. And to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and they left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned. Here it is in my sack. And their hearts sank and they turned, they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? Now notice, they see this as God's judgment. Picture yourself being one of them. You go off, you're just desperate. You want to buy food so that your whole, the, whole, the whole promised people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel, that they're not going to die. And they show up and, and, they, and they meet this guy. They bow down. They say all the right stuff. They have money. And he accuses them of spies. He holds on to one of them. He sends them back. And he's gotta, they got to come back with their young one. They're probably all going to die. And, but they're hopeful. There's still that little sliver of hope. And he sent them with grain. So, oh, okay, maybe he, he's thinking he might trust us because he says he fears God. And then they open up and their, their, their silver that they paid for the grain with is in their sack. They're being set up. They're being set up so that they're known to be spies off with their heads. That's what's going through their heads. That's what's in the middle of their heart. So now they have to make a decision. Continue on, go back, tell our dad what happened. And we've just lost another brother because of our folly. And they see it as God's judgment. Look, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who was Lord over the the land spoke harshly to us. Sorry, I just don't have, any, I don't have any sympathy for them. They were going to kill their brother. Come on. And they treat, spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to them, we are honest men to their dad. We are honest men. We're not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. And then... Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go, but bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will, then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch 
of silver. So now it's not just another brother that they can sacrifice. Now it's going to be all of them. And when they, uh, when they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. And the father, their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. He knows he's dead. And now he's not dead, but in Jacob's mind he is. And now you want to take Benjamin Everything is against me. Jacob is not thinking that it's God necessarily because he doesn't speak about, he doesn't know the sins of his sons necessarily. But Jacob did not have great character growing up. If you remember, he was the one that stole his brother's blessing. He was the one that, that he was pretty conniving. He was even willing to sacrifice half of his family if Esau was coming to get him, half of his family to protect his own, his, his own self. And then he wrestled with God and God changed him, but he still knows the character that he had before. He, maybe he's been redeemed, but he's kind of thinking of all the things in the world, all the times. Here's this famine. We have this little glimmer of hope. That's all gone. I'm done. Then Reuben, that's the oldest brother, the one that had defended Jacob or Joseph before, you You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him, Benjamin, to my care and I will bring him back. I don't know if Reuben is that confident. It might be that Reuben's seeing that he's got one more chance. At least if he goes down, if he dies, he's going to go down and die doing the right thing. Trying to save Simeon. If he can go and save Simeon and bring Benjamin back, then maybe there's been a little Redemption. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey that you're taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Doesn't end, this chapter doesn't end great, does it? It's a long journey and there's a lot of irony in here or callbacks or what comes around goes around. What you reap, you sow. But the thing that as Christians we often avoid is the recognizing that God often tests his people. See, we hear the story and we remember the dream and then, yeah, it went bad for him for a while, but then he's in charge and, and they bow down and everyone's saved and they, the, the people uh, of Israel end up living in Egypt. They turn into slaves later, but not right now. Um, and we think, you know, and we hear that nice little thing that what you intended for, good, for, for evil, God intended for good. And we, so we kind of think, well, wasn't that, I mean, it's sweet, it's nice, but it wasn't that big a deal. But then we got to think back to Jacob, or Joseph, whose dad is Jacob, whose dad is Isaac, whose dad is Abraham. Abraham, Genesis 22, God tests us. It says the first words in Genesis 22 say, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Abraham, yes, my Lord, take your son Isaac, the one you love, that you probably love more than you love me. Take him to a place that I'll tell you about, Moriah, which ends up being the the temple mount, and slaughter him there in my name for me. Now, that's what Baal asked. That's what the pagan gods asked. That is not what Yahweh asks of his people. But he's testing Abraham. Abraham, are you willing to take the person that you love, who's the symbol of my promise to all humanity, are you willing to take him and kill him because I say so? God tests his people. God makes promises. He made promise to Abraham about Isaac and about Jacob and about Joseph. But God is testing Joseph. Is your character such that you can show mercy even when you should say off of their heads? Because if he said off of their heads, their heads are gone. He had every right to do it. But as God developed in him mercy, 
Don't give them what they have coming to them. And as God developed in him grace, give them what they don't deserve. But he's also testing the brothers. See, God kept his promise. It's keeping, he's got an indication that God is going to be faithful to the promise that he made in those dreams. He's keeping his promise to Joseph, but you know who else, who else he's keeping a promise to? The brothers. And often we look at the, at the promises that God makes and we love them because they're the ones that benefit us. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We love that one. We love that he died and, 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 he, and he took our sins to hell and left them there and he rose again from the dead. He took the sting out of death and he now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But we forget that there are plenty of other promises that have not yet been fulfilled. We've heard the things from the, from the prophets about the Messiah and now we get to celebrate Christmas because God in flesh came, the word dwelt among us. He moved in next door. We love that because that fixes our eternal address. But there are other promises that God has made that we've got to figure out and we've got to try and participate with God and trust him in the midst of circumstances so that we end up on the one side of the promise versus the other because Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. And by the biblical definition of meek, none of us fit that. We're told that the poor will be raised up and the rich will lose what they have. They have all the blessing they're going to have now. They won't have it in heaven. Those are promises. We're told that no matter what happens in this world, and one of the reasons we get this such detailed story of Joseph and his brothers and his dad, and we see that God over a lifetime, even though all the circumstances say, do not trust God, he didn't mean it. He's not faithful. Everything points to the fact that God is faithful. And that if we, if we persevere, even in the midst of circumstances, of calamitous circumstances that say he's not trustworthy, God will be praised and people, the world will be saved. This isn't prom these aren't promises to Joseph for Joseph. They're promises to Joseph and to his brothers for the world, for us. And God keeps his promises. He's never broken a promise. He's never told a lie. So if Jesus came back today, and I don't expect that he will, but if he does, would he look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or would he look at me and go, what were you waiting for? I told you, I came as the lamb. I'm coming back as the lion. I came as the one to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. I'm coming back to be the judge. And every one of us will face judgment. We're told that, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bend. And God has given him the name that is above every name. So that means that people, we either get to choose to bend our will to God now or we'll be forced to our knees then. And we're solid. That's good. We, well, I've confessed Jesus. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. Awesome. But what about the people in your neighborhood? What about the people that you work with? What about the people on TV that hate us? What about the people that, that, that think that God is a God of evil and anger? What about them? See, we're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. We're the ones that God entrusted with his gospel, with his truth, with his promise of salvation. There are people going to hell that don't know it. And there are people that are choosing hell because they think that God is an, is an angry, vicious, evil deity. And we know better. But how do we show them? Pray for those who want harm to come to us. Don't return evil with evil, but evil with kindness. 
Those who are downtrodden and, and marginalized, we lift them up. We, every time someone takes a shot at us, we return to them love. Love those who want harm to come to you. Pray for those who persecute you. And when you look at the world and you look at the TV, and by the way, don't. Not the news right now. We're 30 days or 28 days away from the election and the world's gonna end. I just wanna assure you, whichever side you're on, I know you think you're gonna win and you're afraid you won't. Okay, but we're not citizens here first. We're citizens there first. And I assure you that God, just like he was not concerned about Pharaoh, he wasn't concerned about, he, he allowed Joseph to suffer because God wanted to save the world. And he may be allowing you or us, our country to suffer because he wants to save the world. God, I am the Lord your God, says God, and I will not, do not change. He's not doing anything different now than he did then. He's just using different people in different circumstances. Will we be faithful like Joseph was? Will we allow God to develop our character even though it hurts? Even though all the circumstances say that we shouldn't trust God, everything's going away, Christianity's gonna die. It's not gonna die. Why? Because Jesus loves you. And he will not let those he has called die and go to hell. He won't. And I know I look angry, when I'm trying to tell you that Jesus loves you. But folks, this stuff matters. It mattered then. God wanted to save the world. Not just, the, not just Egypt, the world. And through that family, he saved you. Who is he gonna save through you? And we do a lot around here. We're planting churches, trying to reach people who don't know Christ. We support missionaries all around the world. But you know that you're the missionary in your neighborhood? You're the church planter in your neighborhood? That at work, you're the one, you're the ambassador for Christ. You're Joseph. Or you're his brothers. It makes all the sense in the world to look at the circumstances around us and abandon God's promise. But throughout the millennia, God has held on to a few that will not let go of him. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because the one who promised is faithful. God's going to keep his promises, even if it looks like he's not going to. Will you be a person who abandons the promises of God or a person and a people who hold unswervingly to them? That is God's call to us today as it was God's call to Joseph then. Let's pray. Almighty God, you're God and we're not. And we know that in our heads. But one of the reasons we come to church weekly, it's a subversive act. It says to the culture that says that we're all our own gods. It says to the culture around us, it says to ourselves that we know that we're beholding to something bigger than ourselves. And the beauty is that it's not just a deity, it's a personal God who controls history. Lord, you might not let us know what our role in history is, but we can be assured that you will not waste our pain. You may test us, but it won't be in vain. So Lord, whoever you're gonna save, 
through us, whether it be a person or the world. We pray that we submit to your will over our own. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and it's for his sake. Amen. It's a lifetime. Joseph's testimony is a lifetime testimony. That's how long it took. He's 43 when his brothers show up. He was sold into slavery at 17. The first chance he gets to see that God might be keeping his promise was 23 years later. 26. I don't know what's going on in your life. And I don't know how long it'll take. But God is faithful. Will you be thankful for his faithfulness? Will you trust even when it looks like you shouldn't? That's the question. Now, when you mess up, he'll forgive you. He's faithful. But don't give up. Because God wants to save the planet. And he's going to use us to do it. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. And he has. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. He has to look on God's face. And God, the God of the universe, the one true God, the King of kings, smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, Amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.